Uh, today we're going to continue on uh, the institution of the Passover, a journey of deliverance and institution of the Passover. We're going to go from Exodus chapter 12, verses 14 through 28. We studied last week the instructions for the institution of the Passover. The Passover, of course, not just being a celebration that the Lord instituted, but a means of rescue for the people of God from the last plague. It is a capstone to the final judgment of Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. Last week we took a little bit of the meaning of the Passover, which we'll try to continue to do today, and we discovered how the Passover represented a freedom from slavery. Not just a freedom from slavery, but a freedom, or excuse me, not just a freedom for the sake of being free, but a freedom to give all that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, had in love and in worship to the Lord. A freedom to give all that they had in love and worship to the Lord. They were freed from their oppressor. They were freed from their oppressor, which we know relates to sin in our life. It's a picture of the sin in our life. They were free from their oppressor, but they were also free from the other gods that they worshipped. They were freed from idolatry. They were given the ability the freedom to worship the Lord. We also discovered the, the Passover was not just a random way of God saving his people, but in fact it was a means of satisfying the wrath of God. It was a means of satisfying his wrath. It's called propitiation, when the wrath of God is satisfied. What we found out is that the Egyptian or the Israelites who were in complete slavery who were, who were completely unable, completely inept, completely incapable of saving themselves, God made a way. God made a way. They could not save themselves from their slavery. They could not, in a spiritual sense, save themselves from the wrath that was upon their head for idolatry, for not listening to the prophet Moses. They could not save themselves from that, but God made a way. It was through the perfect lamb, the spotless lamb, the blood that was spread on the doorpost and the lintel. And when the wrath of God went through all of Egypt, the wrath of God was satisfied on every door and every house where he saw the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. Friends, it was not just a means of salvation for the Israelites then. It was not just a picture of what was to come, but it has always been by the blood of the Lamb that salvation comes to the Lord's people. Today I want to take this ordinance a little bit further with a specific purpose on why the Passover was instituted as a yearly and permanent fixture. And specifically, that the Lord instituted the Passover as a means of setting up a permanent remembrance of the goodness of the Lord. A means of setting up a permanent remembrance of the power of the Lord. A means of setting up a permanent remembrance of the salvation of the Lord. If you would, look with me at Exodus chapter 12. Because of this new setting, I'm getting a lot of... I'm getting hit in the face with my sound. If you can turn my microphone basically almost to off, and as long as it's recording, don't turn it off, just turn it down. Excuse me. There you go. I'm getting a lot of, 
There we go. That's better. Were you all hearing that echo or is that just me? Okay. I was getting hit in the face with it. All right. Exodus chapter 12, verses 14. We're going to go all the way through 28 today. This day shall be for you a memorial day. Too bad that one didn't fall on last week. And you shall keep it at a you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever you shall keep it as a feast. 7 days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from this first day until the 7th day that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly. And on the seventh day, a holy assembly. That was church. On the first day, they assembled together as the body of the Lord. And on the last day, they assembled together as the body of the Lord. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread, for on this very day, I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. This is the second time the Lord has commanded them to observe the Passover as a permanent statute, as a permanent memorial. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leavened bread is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all of your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select the lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. And touch the lentils and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Just a little side note, and this is not something I'm going to preach on today. But if you imagine here, there is a little imagery, a little picture going on. The doorpost was to be covered in blood. The left, the right, the top. And as they dipped that hyssop in uh, the basin of blood. Can you imagine what else happened? The left, the right, the top. If you've ever painted, you know that if you get a lot of paint on your brush, you paint the left, it's on the bottom. You paint the middle, it's on the bottom. It's on the ground. You paint the right, it's on the ground. What is happening here is not just an image or instructions for what was to be done, but it is an image of the blood that would be spread out because of the hands, the bleeding hands of Jesus. The blood that would be spread out because of the bleeding head of Jesus. And the blood that would be spread out because of the bleeding feet of Jesus. The blood that was on the left, the right, the top, and the bottom of the cross. Just a little another side note. It's not a sermon again. Another side note. You're, they were to take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the basin. Do you remember what Jesus was offered wine with. It was a hyssop branch with a sponge on the end of it. These are not coincidences. I don't think they're enough to make a whole sermon out of, but they're not coincidences. You need to remember these. I point these out to you just so you can have these in your memory bank. These little nuances that God, thousands of years before, planned all of these little 
nuances. All of these little bitty, um, uh, in a video game, you call them Easter eggs. The Lord planted Easter eggs throughout the whole earth, throughout time. Where was I? Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. The third time the Lord commands us to observe the Passover. And when you come to the land that the Lord uh, will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Will you pray with me today? Lord, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord, to be people who remember your mighty and awesome deeds? Would you be help would you help us to be people who as a practice as a practice remember the works of your righteous hands? Would you help us Lord to never forget to always focus to too heavily even if it's possibility to too heavily focus on your glory and who you are to remember the God of Jacob the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, but the Lord the God of all who believe and trust in him. Would you help us to remember, Lord, for the sake of growing in you, for the sake of being more like you. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Philip Ryken, a commentator who and a pastor who uh, I sort of have taken a liking to, and he's pretty famous, he said this of the Christian, or was pretty famous, he said this of the Christian life as it pertains to this text. The Christian life is a combination of amnesia and deja vu in which we keep learning what we keep forgetting. Certainly this was the response of Israel throughout history as it is the response of all of God's people. We remember, we go for a time, we remember how desperate we are. We serve the Lord. We follow Him. Things go well for for a while and then we forget where we came from, we start to fall away. And then the Lord brings punishment for our sins. And, and then something happens to remind us, and we start the process all over again. A mixture of amnesia and deja vu. Often, <coughs> when it comes to the Lord, one of our greatest catalysts for following Him is to be people who remember to be people who remember. The Lord calls us multiple times in Scripture to remember. I I know this because I've read the Bible, but my very first sermon, you know, when you're a teenager and you're like, okay, Lord, I, I feel the call to be a pastor, to preach. You know, your pastor gives you 
you say, hey, pastor, this is my first sermon. What should I do? And, of course, he gives you a, a, a Bible verse with something to do with youth in it. Like, that's the first thing you do. And so my first sermon was a combination of Ecclesiastes 12.1 and 1 Timothy 4.12. 1 Timothy 4.12. Remember? Uh, you're, no, just kidding. Um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, life, love, faith, and purity. But then Ecclesiastes 12.1. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the end draws near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. But there are many other verses in the text of Scripture that calls that call us to remember what the Lord has done. And truthfully, the Exodus is one of those moments that we should all remember. The Exodus from beginning to end is God showing the full spectrum of his power on all types of enemies and showing the full spectrum of his salvation to his people. The last plague and the Passover then is the culmination, sort of, of all of the power of God over other gods and over his other enemies. So now our text today, the Lord has instituted the Passover and commanded it three different times. Verse 14, verse 17, and verse 24. To be a a forever permanent memory of all that he has done in the lives of his people. It was a reminder of God's salvation for his people. In Exodus 12, we see the instructions for the Passover. They're given twice. We talked about them a little bit last week, and they're given again in our verses this week. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is also another name for the Passover. They're one and the same. It was a week-long festival for seven days. There would, be no, uh, there would be no eating of leaven in the bread. Uh, there would be no leaven in the bread. Now, we know we talked about one of the reasons last week for that, and we'll talk about um, the other reason this week. On the first and last day, they would hold an assembly. They would worship together. And on, the, on those days, those days would be completely devoted to worship. No working would be done. As a matter of fact, the only work that could be done on the first and the last day of the assembly was to cook the amount of food that was needed for that day. The punishment for not observing the or- this ordinance was to be cut off. It likely meant to be excommunicated. But to be excommunicated in that time was not just like, you're cut off from church, you can't come to church anymore. It was like you're cut off from your people. You're cut off from your family. This was a big deal. This was a big deal, and I hope that we'll find out why observing the Lord in remembrance exactly how he prescribed is important. He cuts the people off not because, not as a means of saying you're gone, but as a means of accountability and as a means of saying, look, this is important. I'm trying to keep you accountable. I'm trying to actually hold you in by putting this as a stipulation by putting this being cut off as a stipulation the passover the lord spoke to moses and reminded reminded him that the passover should be yearly it should be permanent and it should be done exactly how he says i want to take a few of the symbols from the passover and the feast of unleavened bread and a couple uh, of these symbols will sort of mesh with our overall message today to provide just a little bit of an insight as to why the memorial was set up and 
the importance of remembering or setting up memorials in our own lives. So my question to you today is, why is it important to have memorials? Or why is it important for people to remember, for Christians specifically to remember or set up memorials in their lives? I think there are two important aspects of remembering what the Lord has done that we should not overlook today, that we can glean from our text. These two purposes with instituting a yearly Passover and what the Lord used to help the Israelites remember and what he uses to help us remember today. And the first is this. The first way we remember the work of the Lord is we remember the work of the Lord by observing traditions. We remember the work of the Lord by observing traditions. This may come as a surprise to you that I say that because I must confess I, sp- I spent the better half of my first, first half of my ministry life trying to eliminate traditions, trying to break down traditions. Often I did so with the right heart and the right spirit, and it was a a blessing to eliminate those traditions. For an example, one of the traditions that we eliminated at Vintage Church is uh, that I or you are not expected to wear a suit and tie here on Sunday morning because I I think that's an extraneous expectation. I think it's an extraneous expectation. I think it's a cultural expectation expectation more than it is a biblical expectation. So a lot of positive has come out of that. People feel more um, accepted. They feel like it's easier uh, to get here on Sunday, Sunday morning and be a part of something. They don't feel like it's sort of a funeral atmosphere, but they feel like it's more of a, a worship atmosphere. But in the same sense, in the same sense, sometimes eliminating tradition has uh, negative effects. Um, because what we've done sometimes is with eliminating this tradition of wearing a suit and tie is people tend to take it to the nth degree. And, you know, I'm not going to point out anybody who's in violation of my personal standards today, uh, but um, something like uh, jeans and a t-shirt or, or shorts even, but something nice, right? We take it to the nth degree and we don't wear nice things, uh, so there are positives with, uh, and this is not a sermon on, uh, this is a side note rant. Uh, this is not a sermon on dress code, um, but this is a sermon on what, um, you know, removing traditions and, and the results of that. Uh, what I found is that many of the traditions that I worked to eliminate, in my mind I was doing uh, well by trying to knock away traditions that were extraneous and not expected from the Lord and trying to sort of keep and hold on to traditions that he has expected from us and in turn hold tightly to those. So now when I get a chance to talk about vintage church, uh, I don't say we're a contemporary church because that word gives me, it, it makes me cringe. The idea makes me cringe. When I think of contemporary church, I think of Christians Trying to be too hard, what they're, trying too hard to be what they think the world thinks, what they what they think the world wants, when in fact the world does not want that, and in fact you just continue chasing what was like ten years ago. You understand what I'm saying? You continue chasing what was ten years ago if you try to be contemporary. Again, not a part of the sermon, but just a side sermon. But when I explain what vintage church is, I say we're traditional. And then I go on to explain what I mean 
by traditional. And this is one of the things that I explain and one of the things I think that you can hold to tightly in your life. What I mean by traditional is is that we remember the tradition of Christ-centered and regular corporate worship. We remember the tradition of Christ-centered and regular corporate worship. The Bible in the New Testament establishes it as a permanent memorial to the work of Christ. The Passover was a specific time set to take all of the focus off of the world and completely focus on the Lord. It was a command that became a tradition, but it was a command first. Much like the Passover, corporate worship is not only tra- a tradition, but it is a command first. Hebrews 10, 23-25 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near." The assembly meeting together was for corporate worship. The assembling or the meeting together was for corporate worship. It is Christ-centered because, of, because the purpose is worshiping Christ. Earlier in Hebrews 10, the author is talking about the access that we have to God. And then he says, do not forsake the assembly. Friends, what this leads me to believe is that we keep the tradition of assembling together, not just for spiritual benefit, but that every time we assemble together, we are reminded of the access that we have to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. The assembly was not just established so that we could get together and sing Kumbaya and lift each other up and be happy and, 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 and grow in Christ. That was, one of the, that was one of the reasons. But the assembly was established. The, the author of Hebrews says that the assembly was established so that when we look at each other, when we worship with each other, we are reminded of the great work of Christ that gave us direct access to God. It's vastly important that you think of it this way. That's why, friends, we don't take lightly the assembly together. Because when we do, what we are taking lightly is, I promise I don't smell this, I mean, unless it's good, this fly is flying around me though. What we're doing is we're taking lightly the assembly. When we take lightly the assembly, we are taking lightly the work that God did to make us closer to him. The work that God did to save us, but also the work that God did to give us access to Him. So we aren't just commanded to worship together, but we are commanded because it gives us, because we are given access through Christ. It's also Christ-centered because of our practice. We regularly read Scripture We sing about the works of the Lord, specifically the atoning works of Christ. We pray together. We study the text. We practice the ordinance of communion, which is a direct uh, remembrance of what the work that Christ has done. We give of ourselves through finances and service, which we find is worship. We teach our children, and the list goes on and on. Friends, one sure way to remember the work that the Lord has done is to assemble together on a regular basis, to worship together in a Christ-centered and God-honoring corporate worship. Another way we do this, another way we do this, another way we remember is by redeeming cultural traditions. 
by redeeming cultural traditions. As a church, but mostly as individuals, uh, individual Christians, we are to search for pre-existing cultural traditions to be a part of with the specific purpose of being a gospel light in already existing traditions and circumstances. It is a way to not reinvent the wheel in glorifying God. One way I do this, I'll tell you from my, from my perspective, and you can pick however you would like, but you must be doing this. One way I do this is I enroll my children in sports. And then as my children play on sports teams, I am naturally in the context of the culture gathered together with other people who need to hear about Jesus. And then I'm a gospel light as I am coaching or as I am helping or as we're providing snacks or whatever it is we're doing. Another way would be to volunteer or to participate in cultural events around the community. Just a few that I can give you uh, for the city of Horn Lake, but there are many others, and there are many others in the city of Memphis, is there is in the park after dark. Throughout the summer, they're going to have movies shown um, in the city of Horn Lake. Participate and be a part of that. Another is that Horn Lake celebrates the Juneteenth Festival. The Juneteenth Festival is a festival that you can be a part of or you can participate in in some manner. Juneteenth is the celebration of the Emancipation Proclamation, the emancipation of slaves. Or we, Horn Lake has its fireworks show. Now, those are three varying spectrums of the scale, but they are there. They are there. There are places and things within normal context that you can redeem for the glory of the Lord and that you can remember at that point after you've done that that salvation comes from the Lord both for you and for those people that you're working with. There are many other activities and things inside and outside of our city that we can be a part of. As a church, we specifically look for opportunities around Christmas and Easter to teach and reinforce the truth of Jesus to people who haven't heard or have yet to repent. We use things like mentoring or tutoring or just being involved in the lives of young people, even as far as ESL, if you're a certified or if you can help in those uh, manners. We use those things, those pre-existing cultural norms in order to remember that Christ is a still Savior and He's still looking to redeem. He has redeemed us and He is looking to redeem, redeem others. See, the Passover was a cultural norm. It was a cultural thing. It was established as a cultural thing. It wasn't just a religious thing. And they redeemed this cultural thing as a religious work. We can redeem cultural norms. We can also make new traditions. We can also make new traditions. This is another way we remember the work of the Lord by making new traditions. I think that MC Summer Rhythms is a new tradition. I think it's a new tradition. I think just from based on the first one and based on the way we think it's going to go, it's something we're going to do every year. We make new traditions to the glory of the Lord. We make new marks or new special occasions in our life, new memorial stones to the glory of the Lord. We can make days special in our lives to His glory. We can make a new tradition for any reason with the hope of making a gospel impact to people. Start something monthly with the intent of sharing the gospel with the lost. It could be anything that connects people with common interest and give you an opportunity to invest in someone's lives. It could be a poker game or a chess club or a gun club. It could be something around sports or crafts or something that you find interesting. And then you start a tradition with the intent of making a gospel impact every time you meet 
with a gently, with, by gently reminding people of the Lord and the works that he has done, by being a proclaimer of the gospel. We establish traditions and memories around things we love, things we don't want to forget. And so when we establish traditions around family, around friends, around other events in our community, and then we, we incorporate Christ into it, what we're saying is Christ is something that we love, that we cherish, and we don't want to forget, and we're going to make him a part of our everyday lives. We're going to make him a part of our everyday activity. We make new traditions. One of the ways, one of the sure ways, friends, that we remember the Lord is by celebrating traditions. I will tell you, I have spent a lot of time in my life trying to destroy traditions. So over the last few years, I've become less interested in putting energy into demolishing traditions, and I've been more interested in putting energy into redeeming traditions and creating new redeemed Christians, all while, uh, traditions, all while, all while remembering the work of the Lord and sharing his beautiful story with others. We remember the work of the Lord by observing traditions, especially those that he established, but also this, we remember the work of the Lord by observing our personal testimony. A major part of this story and the impl uh, implementation of the Passover is not just the traditional aspect of it. But just as important, it is the reminder of the testimony of the work of the Lord. Yes, we are reminded of the work of the Lord by traditions, but we are also reminded by ourselves. We are reminded by the work that he has done in our lives. Look at verse 26. The Lord said in verse 26, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped. When we establish traditions, especially with a spiritual lean, what we are doing is we're giving people an opportunity to ask questions as to why we are doing those traditional things, and therefore opening up, opening up an uh, opportunity to give our testimony, to give our testimony. And so we remember the work of the Lord by two areas of our testimony. One is our past testimony. Our past testimony. I've touched on this a good bit over the last week, so I won't stay on it very long. But one of those important aspects of the tradition of the Passover is that it reminded the people of the salvific work of the Lord, which was their past testimony. It reminded them of their desperation, of their neediness, of their inability. As we discussed last week, the blood of the spotless lamb would have reminded them of the protection and the salvation that was brought. That the lamb died in their place as a substitute. The bitter herbs reminded them of their past life of slavery and their inability. How their life of freedom in God was dead for almost 430 years. The, leavened bre the unleavened bread had two meanings. One, they didn't have time for the bread to rise. So they wouldn't have leaven in their bread because they wouldn't have time for the bread to rise. The Lord was going to rescue them right then and that they would leave, leave immediately and obey God immediately. They were completely dependent on his plan. I'll talk about the second one in just a second. You don't need me to go into this point any further because I think you understand it. 
But I will tell you, friends, we are all doomed to repeat the same mistakes if we don't, as a point of remembrance, remember our past testimony. We are all doomed to repeat the same mistakes. We remember our past testimony by remembering our personal past. Honestly, I'd like uh, to see this all of the time. To- uh, excuse me. Honestly, I'd like to see this all of the time when I was younger, and I still, um, I still had a, a larger amount of friends who, had single, who were single. I would see uh, the mistakes of remembering or forgetting, excuse me, your personal past testimony. Anna and I would have friends who were girls who would have a certain type of guy, and they would find that guy, and they would ignore all the warning signs about him. Then they would fall in love, and then they would be let down time and time again. And they would repeat the same steps. They would find that guy, and it was their type, and their type happened to be a, you know, a word that I won't use here. He was an idiot, you know, and, and, and they would fall into that same type and they would fall into the same mistakes and they would rinse and repeat. We saw this a lot. We saw this a lot when I had more single friends when we were, when we were younger. We do this often, friends, when, when we try removing sin from our life. The desire is there. But the follow-through is not. So we say something like, I'm not going to spend so much time on the internet, or I'm not going to drink as much, or I want to stop lusting, or I want to spend more time in the Word and in prayer, or I'm going to be a better husband or wife, whatever the case may be. We do the same things over and over again and get undesirable results. We say and we have the desire to do the right things, but we forget the past, we forget our past testimony, the things that brought us down in the past, and therefore we're doomed to repeat the same things over and over again. We go for a time and we change. We knock that sin out in our lives. And then all of a sudden it comes back, and sometimes it comes back even stronger in our lives. If we fail to remember what worked and what did not work in the past, then we're doomed to fail again in the present. Friends, for me, I found out that I just had to quit many things that kept me from growing. I just had to eliminate those things from my life. What I found out was becoming a better pastor, a better, excuse me, a better husband, a better pastor, a better Bible reader, or whatever, doesn't come through immediate success, but by remembering the testimonies of my failings. The compound, uh, then compounding Uh, my successes, and eliminating the things that made me lose. Listen, I loved video. I love video games still. I like video games a lot. But I found out that I had to sacrifice so many things in order to be good at them. So I sacrificed time given to video games in order to be a better husband, in order to be a better pastor, in order to be a better father. I love playing softball. I, I traveled on a tournament team for about four or five years. Everything was paid for but our meals. We had hotel rooms. We had uniforms. We had tournaments. We would go to Panama City a couple times a year, Virginia, uh, Texas, all over the south, sort of the southeast. I loved it. I still love playing softball. But what I found out is in order to be a good pastor, I, couldn't, I had to put more time into being good a pastor than to being a good softball player. And so some of those things I had to give up. And I remembered that my failure in my present was because I forgot to change things in my past. My, my past testimony told me that I could have these things that I loved, but I couldn't love properly the things 
that I had at the same time. So I chose God. I chose my wife. I chose the church and subsequently my children. But you can put anything there. Friends, you are doomed to fail personally if we don't remember the personal wins and personal failures of our past. So we need to remember our personal testimony. We, we need to remember a cultural testimony, a cultural past. Friends, it's so touchy right now because it's trendy for Christians to stand up and be social justice warriors. But may I, may I be the first to tell you that you do not owe reparations to African Americans for slavery or mistreatment like some Christians suggest. Your parents or grandparents may have been personally responsible for the death of Martin Luther King, which is unlikely, but the vast majority of our grandparents were not responsible for the death of Martin Luther King like uh, a popular social justice Christian, Thabiti Anabwile, suggests. But can I tell you something really important? We're not responsible for reparations, and my grandparents weren't responsible for the death of Martin Luther King. But if you fail to see how past racism affects the people of color in this country right now today, you are doomed, at least personally, to repeat the same mistakes. If you fail to see how past racism or even present racism affects the people of color in this country today, you're, fail, you're doomed to repeat the same mistakes. This is not just for African Americans. This is for people across the, the color spectrum. This is why I'm reminded, yes, there isn't a white history month. But whites weren't oppressed in America for 400-something years. The reason there's a Black History Month is because black history was oppressed by, by white Americans for hundreds of years. The reason it must be pointed out is because black Americans feel like it would never be pointed out if it wasn't pointed out by themselves. The reason that there's Hispanic, the reason that there's Asian History Month. Now listen, I mean, it gets a little bothersome, especially when people on the wrong side of the spectrum speak on these things. But if we fail to recognize what has gone on in the past in this country, we will fail to recognize how to make a better future for ourselves. But it's not, but this doesn't come by paying reparations. This just doesn't come by white guilt. This comes by being a gospel change to people of color that you know and then establishing relationships with those people to change the tide of how race relations are seen and done in this country. Friends, we don't pay back. We're not guilted into paying reparations, but we are responsible for letting the gospel forget what is behind and press on towards the mark of our higher calling. And our higher calling is that we are one race united under the blood and body of Jesus Christ, and we should fight. We should fight to make sure the whole world knows that that's true. We remember a personal testimony. We remember a cultural testimony testimony, and then we remember a present testimony, and I'll go through this really quickly, I promise. There was a present testimony that must be remembered. There was a present testimony that must be remembered, and here's what it was. The present testimony was, not only were you saved back then, this is important, this is important, not only were you saved back then, Israel, but look at you now. Are you under the slavery and yoke of Egypt? 
We remember the Passover. We come together and we celebrate each uh, we celebrate together in corporate worship, not because not just because Christ saved us then, but because we look at ourselves and we are still saved. We are still covered by the blood of the Lord. And so our present testimony is this, friends, not just that Christ saved us on the cross at Calvary, but that Christ is saving us every day. And that should cause us to do something. That should cause us to pursue sanctification. So in the Passover, the people on the first day, or or before the Passover, they would sweep all of the leaven out of their house. They would take all of the leaven out of their house. One symbol of the leaven being in the bread is that they would not have time to, uh, to, for the dough to rise. So they were going to leave Egypt. They were going to leave Egypt quickly. They would not have time for the dough to rise. But here's another that came from Jewish tradition but also came from Christ. The leaven also represented corruption. The leaven also represented sin. And the reason that they were to sweep the leaven out of their house is they were not only because they it was reminded them of the immediacy of their salvation, but it reminded them that the leaven was corruption to their salvation. And so they would sweep the leaven out of their house. Here's how it was done back in the day. There weren't yeast packets. So what would happen is this. What would happen is, and friends, if you can't, if you can't see this in the church, if you can't see this in the church today, there's something wrong with you. You just don't have your eyes open. What would happen is there would be a starter lump. A starter lump. And the starter lump would come from an old uh, lump of bread, an old piece of dough. And they would knead that starter lump into the new dough. And just that little bit of leaven of that old lump would leaven the whole dough to where the dough would rise. There's a completely, I've had like 15 side sermons today, but there's a completely different side sermon to be found in that. We need to do our best, friends. We need to do our best, friends, to keep, to sweep the leaven of our old life away. To sweep the leaven of our old life from us. To keep it from us personally. To keep it from our church. Because just a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Can spoil the whole lump. This is important here because what is happening is not just... Uh, the present testimony doesn't just remind them that they are still being saved, but that their salvation calls them to a higher calling, a higher standard. And that standard is sanctification. That standard is becoming more like Jesus. That standard is slowly eliminating things from their lives that hinder them, slowly eliminating things from their lives that prevent them from loving the Lord. Friends, I want to tell you, we come here every day, every Sunday, as a remembrance of the work that the Lord has done for us. How just like the Israelites, we were unable, we were slaves, we were even dead, the Bible says, in our trespasses and sin. How that God, in the right time, and in His right plan, and in the right purpose, sent Jesus Christ to this earth, who lived His life as a perfect man, spotless, to where John the Baptist, when Jesus, at, the, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. If John had had a better, if John had taken the time to make a better commentary on that instead of just saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he would say this. He would say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. One day you will take the blood of this man, this Lamb, and you will spread it on the doorpost and the lentils of your heart. If there's any hope for you, if there's any hope to escape your sin and your shame, if there's any hope to escape the wrath of God, if there's any hope that the wrath of God may be appeased, it will be by this man's blood, this spotless lamb. And so when we come here every Sunday, we come here as a memorial, not only of the sacrifice that Jesus made to appease the wrath of God, to forgive the sins of man, but as a remembrance of the fact that that sacrifice on the cross gave us direct access to God, to which at that point had not been the case. The Bible says that no one sees the face of God and lives, and now through Jesus we see the face of God, and instead of dying we have life. Friends, it is important to establish, to uphold, and to remember traditions, especially those that are commanded by the Lord. To hold on to those things because what they do is they remind us of our inability. They remind us of God's complete ability and the work that he has done to get us from that point to this point. Pray with me this morning. God, you are good. Lord, I pray that, Lord, sometimes in sermons like today, I feel like they're a confusing mess when I have 15 side sermons and there's a million parts of information and, and all things like that, I feel like I don't, I'm not good enough to preach them, Lord. But God, I know that your word never returns void. It'll get the right result. And the result is either giving salvation upon salvation, heaping salvation on people's heads, or Lord, keeping the wrath that is already heaped upon somebody's head, Lord, on their head. God, I pray for everybody in here that they would if they have not already, that they would repent and believe the gospel, that they would follow after the Lord in spirit and in truth, that they would trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your redemption. Thank you for your propitiation, how the wrath of God was satisfied. Thank you for your forgiveness of our sins. Lord, help us never to forget. Help us to always establish memorials to remember to follow those in spirit and in truth. We love you. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.